The first reading is from Psalm 11, which is on page 387 in the Pew Bible. Psalm 11, for the director of music of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulphur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. The second reading today is from Acts. It's on page 774, chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And now we're going to skip forward to chapter 7, verse 51, which is on page 776. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. 
And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let me add my welcome as well. That's always a great way to welcome people, isn't it? Bang the microphone, wake everyone up, make sure that we're alert and sharp. Uh, If you're new or visiting, it's great uh, that you're able to be amongst us. Hopefully you have a chance to stay around and join us for uh, morning tea out in the courtyard a little later on. In fact, if you've got no no lunch plans, there's uh, a community lunch on uh, later today. You'd be very welcome to be a part of. Uh, We are picking up still in the book of Acts. We've been working our way through it. Uh, Acts is the, the... picks up the continuing work of Jesus after he rose up into heaven. Uh, We get to see the insights of the the early church and what God was doing in those times, not least for our encouragement, but also that we might become more and more like the people God wants us to be and the community God wants us to be. Uh, So let's pray that God might speak to us powerfully through it this morning. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness to us. We thank you that uh, you gave us your word that we might know you. Father, we pray as we come uh, often with all sorts of thoughts in our minds that you would help us uh, focus upon your word. Uh, Father, for those of us who need to find comfort, may you give it. For those of us who need to be challenged, may you stir us. Uh, Father, may you work in all of us that we might love and please and honour you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray that you might speak to us today. Amen. Uh, You may have noticed uh, that laws have become stricter over mobile phones recently. Perhaps that's touched you. Uh, These days you can be charged even for just handling your phone whilst behind the wheel. Why? Well, the rationale is is based on research that equates uh, the effect of speaking to a mobile to being 0.08 alcohol level. So as people, the reality is we're just too easily distracted, so we need laws to stop us. And yet, if you drive around the streets and even if you're just kind of walking along, you may notice there might be some people still doing it. You know, even with laws against it, we can't resist 
you know, the distraction, the opportunity. Of something, you know, I, I might need to take this. This might be important. We are prone to distraction. You know, and what's trivial in some circumstances, you know, in the workplace, you might check your mail constantly. No one's going to die because of it. You might be a little less efficient, but you know, it can be a life and death tragedy on the roads, can't it? And in church life, that inclination to distraction can be spiritually tragic. As John 6, uh, 68 puts it, in Jesus we have the words of eternal life. That is, we have a message that the world desperately needs to secure everlasting joy. Uh, we have in Jesus words of comfort in the face of death and despair. We, we can offer security to those who desperately need it. We can bless our friends with words of true everlasting life and joy. Now in Matthew 28, uh, Jesus commissions his followers as he ascends up into heaven to go and make disciples of all nations. We've been given a task of helping all to recognise his gracious rule. And yet even knowing we've got words of eternal life, even given a direct task, we get distracted, don't we? How we sang earlier on, you may have noticed, that we must spread the word of his soon return and reclaim his wor- this world for his glory. How we sang it and yet... There's a little bit of disconnect, isn't there? You know, like in the kids' talk, we laughed at, I suppose, how quickly it got stuck at the front, you know, like, you know, Naomi's little message, you kind of got to the first two people and maybe to four and then it just kind of died off. And we laughed and yet, isn't that us? So easily distracted. You know, the, the stresses of daily life, the challenges of work and family, the, the joy of hobbies, you know, none of which are wrong, none of which are bad, they're all good, unless, of course, they, they take us away from the task before us, unless, of course, they end up making it so that these words of life get trapped amongst us, get trapped in this building and don't go beyond it. You know, even in church life, uh, and I feel it, we get so busy just maintaining what's already happening and enjoying the way things are and the people are already here that, that those words of eternal life just remain here and don't go anywhere else. We are easily distracted. Uh, and there's no point pretending otherwise, but uh, there's only value in recognising reality, isn't there? But as we continue in Acts this morning, we, we have a word of encouragement. Uh, Two points that I want us to try and remember. Uh, First is that the word of God spreads through his people. And secondly, we're going to look at what assists its spreading. So first, the word of God spreads through his people. Uh, We're trying, doing our best to get a handle on all the chapters from Acts 6 to Acts 8 this morning. In many ways, the the narrative of this section is is like like a vine with with fruit and leaves, little vignettes that, that hang from it. So the vine is this, this stable theme that runs through it, of, that, that holds the larger story all together, uh, makes sense of them all. Uh, the vine in, in Acts 6 to 8 is that the word of God spreads through his people. Okay, that's the theme that keeps coming back. So, so in Acts 1, 8, uh, before ascending, Jesus had, had commissioned his disciples saying, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you uh, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we got up to chapter 5 last week and, yep, they've got the power. Super. And, yep, they've been testifying to Jesus and believers were turning by the drove. Thousands of people were joining up, but they were still in Jerusalem. They seem to have got a little distracted. But chapter 6 to 8 
charts that move from Jerusalem to get out, to make sure this news actually spreads to others who need to hear it, to, through Judea, Samaria. Uh, it even starts getting to, to kind of the, the ends of the world, the Gentile projects, with a, a climax of an Ethiopian being baptised into Christ. You know, that spreading word of God is this constant theme that runs through chapters 6 to 8. But along the way, there are some little kind of vignettes, little, little stories to flesh out how it will be helped. But, but let me just highlight the vine, first of all. Um, just before we started reading, 5 verse 41. Uh, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And then we have a little story, and then 6 verse 7, the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And then we get another story of Stephen. Uh, we'll come back to that, but, but then in 8.4, skip over the page, uh, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. We get a story of them, them being in, in Samaria and then in 8.25, skip down to there, uh, when they testified and proclaimed to the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Uh, we get another story of Philip and the Ethiopian and then in 8.40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotos, travelled about, preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached Caesarea. Just trying to highlight, there's a, there's a flow that runs through it, this vine that holds all these stories together, that, that the word of God doesn't stay contained, it spreads. Uh, 6 verse 7 is, is particularly helpful. It focuses our attention on, on the creative force behind the church's growth. So in that verse it just says, the word of God spread. It, it kind of glosses over the people to focus on the power, the, the word, the, this living entity that can't be contained. Now, that, that description of it spreading fits with kind of Hebrews 4 that talks about how the Word of God is living and active. There's something lively and forceful about it. That's where the power resides. Now, there's this underlying confidence in Acts and a confidence we should adopt that God's Word actually does and will grow. Now, the word that uh, in 6 verse 7 Luke uses for increasing rapidly um, is the same verb that's used in Exodus chapter 1. Uh, in Exodus 1, um, it's used there of the Israelites, and the Israelites basically bred like bunnies. Uh, they had so many kids that the Egyptian overlords actually started getting scared of them because there's just so many of them around. They increased that rapidly. Uh, it's that same sense of strong, rapid growth that the word has here in Acts. It, it increases and increases rapidly. It's not going to be stopped. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he talked about the book of Acts, he talked about how reading Acts is a tonic for the soul. You know, and for, for we who get so easily distracted, it's a tonic to see the power of the word of God. It is powerful and it will go out. As we'll see, opposition from outsiders, infighting, you can't stop the spread of the gospel message. Of course, the other thing we need to notice is how that word spreads. According to that little vine, those, those, those glimpses of verses, it spreads through his people. Now, you would have noticed in those verses that the way God's word spreads is as people just carry it to the next person. You know, we pick up again, just one of them, 5 verse 42, the first one I mentioned. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. You know, and the sense of preaching there throughout that section is not just standing up in a kind of church structure at a pulpit and preaching in this kind of formal way. Um, yes, they did do it in public forums, in the temple courts, but, but they also did it privately. They went house to house. Uh, in 8.4, um, where they were scattered to, 
after a persecution, they spoke of Christ. The beauty of that verse is it makes it clear that they didn't wait to you know, build a church and call a specialist minister in before they could tell anyone about God. You know, it's the wonder if you go back to the, the gold fields of Australia, Methodists were everywhere uh, in the gold, gold fields of Australia in the mid-1800s. Why? Um, because they just preached in tents. They didn't wait to have the building. Uh, whereas the Anglicans took a little while to catch up. You know, the power of God's word through any of his people is there in 8.4. You know, it, it's not that the, the apostles were the ones preaching this news. It was any of his people who were scattered. The apostles were still back in Jerusalem. You know, it was just ordinary Christians sharing whatever they knew of Jesus with whoever was around them. You know, God's word is powerful. It will spread and it will spread through us. That's the confidence we need to have. It's the refocus we need to grasp. You know, we can be confident because it's God's word that's a power, not, not you or I. You know, it's not whether we're particularly eloquent or not. All you and I do is allow his word to naturally flow through us. You know, like the kids talk. You know, we, we, we got a bit of the word and so we hand it on to the person next to us and they hand it on in turn and, and in turn. God's word will spread and it will spread through us. Uh, Haley made mention last week, uh, if you were amongst us, of a, a great book by Bill Hybels uh, called Just Walk Across the Room. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you read it during the week at uh, Haley's recommendation. If you didn't, do it this week. This is recommendation number two. Uh, it's a book Haley reckons uh, changed her understanding of evangelism. It is a great book. Hybels uh, has some really helpful insights about what it means to, to actually have a confidence that the word of God can spread through us. Uh, here's a principle of, I'm going to sum up a little bit of his book, uh, here's a principle of living 3D, living 3D. So uh, the first D is develop friendships. Now, we actually need to engage in the lives of those around us. Now, the reality is the longer people are Christian, the less they get to engage with people who are far away from God. And the more they end up distracted and just keeping these great news to themselves. It is good and right to invest in friends who are a long way from Christ and we, and we need to watch out getting so distracted by church or work or family that they get forgotten. That's the first D. The second D is discover stories. So develop friendships, discover stories. Um, so before leaping in with you know, your prepackaged gospel explanation, this is what people need to hear and I'll sit them down and I'll read them all the way through from Genesis to the end. And you know, No, no, no. Know their story. Know their worldview. Uh, understand where they're coming from, that you might share the aspect of Christ that would be genuinely helpful. Uh, for some, it's going to be a decade-long project. For others, it might just be a chance meeting at a party. You know, you, you listen carefully to someone's story and you just see an opportunity. They would really benefit from hearing this part of God's word. Develop friendships, discover stories. Third, third D of Hybels is discern the next steps. For him, that's following the Spirit's lead, taking up the opportunities God, God gives you to share the next part of Christ's message with someone who needs to hear. He's seeing that opportunity and just taking a little bit of a risk and going, I will go out and do it. And I will think about what I'll do next after we've already had that conversation once. Yes, we're prone to distraction, but I want us to be confident. The word of God will spread and it will spread through us. You know, as we do that, as we develop friendships and discover stories and discern those next steps. Uh, and we have great models of that amongst us. Uh, the other night uh, we had a dinner for uh, the 8am congregation. 
And one couple was sharing how they've been trying to get to know their neighbours uh, in their apartment block just by baking cupcakes uh, and going around and knocking on doors and just giving them cupcakes and baking friendships. Because, you know, flats can be pretty antisocial places. All these people living on top of each other and yet no one says anything. Uh, and they've also invited five or six people to church so far and they, and they happen to have on hand several hundred copies of um, short gospel explanations just on the off chance people want them. Uh, and if they do, they've got them ready to share. There's another woman in our broader church who is just a fantastic evangelist. She's not a, a public speaker, she doesn't get up front, but she's always emailing me to pray for her friends that she's invited to sit down and just have a coffee and read a bit of the Bible with her. Uh, she emailed me as well when we started up Youth by the Bridge uh, just to find out details so that uh, there's a, a local teenager she knew and thought, oh, maybe it'll suit him. What makes these people great evangelists is not... Not their personality uh, per se. I'm not saying they don't have personality. But, it, but that's not what makes them great. It's, it's a confidence in how good God's word is and a concern for people. And God's word will spread. It will spread through us. But for we who are prone to distraction, there's assistance we need, isn't there? It's the second point I want us to grasp, that what will help us, what assists us in spreading the word, these four little vignettes, uh, four words, teamwork, hardship, purity, and God's initiative. I know that's actually two words at the end there. Uh, they are all going to help us assist the word spreading. Uh, the, first, uh, the first little vignette is teamwork. So at the start of 6, verse 1 to 7, uh, we get a, an issue Arise. At the start of chapter 6, there's internal division. Uh, in verse 2, these Grecian Jewish widows are feeling hard done by. Essentially, it's a, a culture clash. There were um, different linguistic backgrounds between these Hebraic and Grecian Jews, uh, Jewish widows. And, and it, 6 verse 2, it threatens to become so consuming to deal with this internal problem that the, the preaching of the word will be forgotten or neglected. So in verse 3, what do they do? Uh, they select seven reputable men, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, to take over that ministry of the tables. Uh, the, the word minister just means serve. They take over this responsibility and they free the apostles to preach and pray. Now, this is not a statement about uh, hierarchy or exclusive speciality. In fact, um, as you go on in the story, Stephen and Philip, who we meet in 6 verse 5, become quickly known for the way they talk about Jesus not just the way they serve a table. No. It's about sensibly using our gifts to complement one another, to work together in the work of God. Now, the word of God will spread through us as we use our gifts. Uh, the motto of an old church of mine uh, was, we are not a church with a minister, but a church of ministers. You right, Carol? Do you need a water? That's all right. There's one just there. Karen, next to your hand. Beautiful. That's fine. The word of God will spread as we work together. Yeah, there, there is no such category as full-time Christian workers because uh, every Christian works full-time. Yeah, if we want the, the good news of Jesus to spread, it actually means each one of us taking responsibility to use our gifts in teamwork with others. Uh, the more biblical metaphor for this is this kind of partnership is that we're all part of one body. And to be honest, who wants to be the gangrenous toe on anybody? No, no. A desire to see God's word spread means humble, humble and selfless teamwork. 
second way we'll be assisted, the, the next vignette uh, as we follow along the, the, the vine, uh, is hardship. In 6, 8, all the way through to 8 verse 1, we get this long account of Stephen uh, and his persecution. It picks up the kind of themes of Psalm 11 that we read. Uh, he's another potential stumbling block. Not, not this time internal problems, but external ones. Uh, he gets hauled up on false charges in 6, 12 and 13 uh, of blasphemy. And he gives this long speech and we, we kind of skipped over it. If you want to read it later, what's interesting about it is, is he's not really giving himself a defence. He's really turning this speech into a chance to accuse those who are his judge and jury. You know, they have continued a tradition in 751 of, just like their fathers, resisting the Holy Spirit, of being stiff-necked. And there are all these parallels between what, G- what Stephen goes through and what Jesus himself went through. The false trial, the, the offer of even in death forgiveness being given to those who kill him. Uh, the same way in which Jesus committed his spirit to the Father, so too Stephen does that. But Stephen's death ultimately, yes, it's an attempt to stop the gospel, but really it's used by God to see that it gets out. You know, it was an act of mob violence, so in, they knew that it was illegal to stone someone. That's why when Jesus was killed, they, they brought in the Romans to crucify him. But, but this mob just takes over, and in the start of 8, 8 verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. You know, one act sparks a wave, and the church gets scattered. But rather than stopping the gospel, God uses it to fulfil to fulfill that worldwide task. His speech, yes, it breaks with the temple, but but even more, it's the mob violence and this systematic persecution of Christians that in 8 verse 4 means those who scattered preached the word wherever they went. The apostles had had become distracted. They were actually unwilling to leave Jerusalem. Uh, And and for the rest of the book of Acts, Peter and John are just playing catch-up. Instead of being initiators, they're only ever come to verify what's happened. Uh, Hardship doesn't harm the gospel, it helps the gospel. Uh, Tertullian said in the second century, the more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. Now, I look over to the chaos in Christchurch at the moment and uh, people I know of in a lot of hardship, people I've uh, indirectly know of dying. Uh, in no way do we want to undermine the grief and sadness uh, and pain of what people over there are going through. But I also know that even an earthquake won't stop the gospel in New Zealand. Uh, Wally Bean, who's a, a former minister in Christchurch, speaker at our getaway, so if you haven't signed up, do. Uh, he wrote a wonderful message to his old church, uh, a small part of it. He wrote, Our hearts go out to each one of you. From a human perspective, we feel we have deserted you in your time of need. But at the same time, we know that God will use it for the strengthening of you as a church. And he's right, isn't he? You know, it is right to grieve pain and hardship, but it's also right to see that God will use his hardship to see the word grow. The third assistant, the third little vignette, is what happens after 8.4. It's that of purity. Purity will help us. So to quickly skim you over that story... At last, the gospel is getting to the Samaritans. Philip goes out and speaks it to others. A problem crops up of internal impurity this time. 
Um, he's preaching, he's healing, they're getting the real gospel. And this other guy called Simon, uh, we meet him, Simon the magician in 8 verse 9. I love the way he's described at the end. He boasted that he was someone great. I think we've all met someone like Simon, haven't we? No, I don't like to say it myself, but my friends all say I'm a pretty fantastic guy. Uh, yeah, Simon's that kind of guy and he is talking himself up and he sees the opportunity, the great power of the gospel that the Holy Spirit is being conferred and passed on and he thinks, here's a business investment. If I can buy the power to you know, passing out the Holy Spirit, imagine how much more I can make. And so he offers. You know, and you could see that there might be an appeal. You know, Simon already has a following. He's a popular guy. He was thought of as great. And you, and you could imagine, you know, imagine if we just tagged along. Imagine how the gospel would grow if we went along with this popular guy. And no, no, no. Peter's response in verse 20 is quite literally to hell with your money and to hell with you unless you repent. No, no, no. There's no value in that kind of impurity. The, the, the spread of God's word is a sister's only when we take seriously the purity of the gospel. False, false motives in telling the gospel has to be avoided. False teachers must be excluded. How to compromise is ultimately damaging. The final vignette is, I suppose, the the word of encouragement for us to finish on. In Acts 8, 26-40, Philip is involved in the conversion of an Ethiopian man. It's exciting because... At last, the gospel has really gone to the ends of the world. Uh, for any Jewish mind, this, this man was a castrated black Gentile. Basically, how far to the ends of the world can we go before we get to this guy? You know, he is really the end. He's a long way away, isn't he? And yet, the real player in it all isn't Philip or the Ethiopian, but God who has prepared the way the whole time. So in verse 26, it's an angel who prompts Philip to go and run to the roadside and in verse 29 it's the spirit prompts him to go up next to this chariot and chat and in verse 32 we discover this Ethiopian has actually been spending his time reading the Bible, reading from Isaiah and that gives Philip the chance to speak of Jesus and, and that Ethiopian gets baptised on the spot and then in verse 39 the spirit whisks Philip away again. You know, it is God who is in control. It is him who does all that work. Yes, God will spread his word through us but know this, it is always his work. You know, I know for some of us to think of getting the message of Jesus to the ends of the world is, um, is a bit too much to think about. I know for some of us even talking about trying to reach three people for Christ in this year is intimidating. I know that some of us will find the, the idea of Bill Hybels 3D living uh, challenging. But here's the comfort. It's not really about us. It's just following what God is doing. Ultimately, the growth of the gospel is God's work. We just need to trust he is big enough that he can do it and we'll just follow his lead obediently. Perhaps you've come this morning and you've realised you've been distracted. For some of us, it might have been we've been distracted from God himself for a long time and you're only just getting back with him. For others, it'll be, no, no, we've been with God, we're just distracted from letting others know. Thankfully, God doesn't get distracted. May this be a great morning we remember the the wonderful words of life and the task before us that we can share it with others. Let's not be overwhelmed, but take heart. God's word will spread. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it can't be contained. Internal problems and external opposition can't stop it, but Father, your word goes out. And we pray that you would remind us afresh of its greatness 
the comfort that the gospel offers. Excite us again that we might want to share it with those around us. Help us have eyes to see the opportunities uh, that we might share with others and that they too might share eternal life in the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.